This podcast was recorded on February 15, 2017. The views and opinions expressed herein are as of the date recorded and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities. Such views and opinions may differ from those of Double N Capital or of its affiliates and are subject to change without notice. Double N has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. Welcome to The Sherman Show. I'm here with my co-host and colleague, Sam Lau, and today we're going to discuss uh, the infrastructure space and the developments we've seen um, over the past couple of years. So with us today are portfolio managers from Double Line. We have Damian Contes and Andrew Shu, both portfolio managers in the infrastructure space and in their infrastructure strategy. So uh, Damian and Andrew, I want to start off by uh, talking to you guys about how you came up with the idea of creating a dedicated infrastructure strategy. I'm Andrew, and uh, it was actually a pretty interesting story. Uh, Damien and I actually come from different backgrounds uh, within the fixed income space, but what we noticed was in our respective sectors that more and more infrastructure assets were being financed in our markets. So myself being in structured products, Damien in, in corporate credit, uh, essentially what we saw was you know more and more issues in the space, and honestly, this this whole idea came about over some uh, water cooler talk. Yeah, it, it was actually very uh, very funny because uh, I was actually uh, grabbing a printout from a, a structured product that I was uh, working on, and Andrew said, "Oh, you work on structured product? Uh, interesting." And I said, "Yeah, I'll do a bunch of structured product. You know, a lot of infra things are coming through our space." And said, "Oh, interesting. We should talk." And from that little water cooler printer moment, yeah. Well, that's one of the benefits of having a team sitting around, coming up with ideas all the time, and having that open environment. It allows for kind of that talk, too. So um, talking about structured product, right, Um, I think of, you know, infrastructure having some backing. You know, we're talking about infrastructure income, right, like usually traditionally fixed income, whether bonds or loans. right. But when we think about that, why would someone with a structured product background be useful in this kind of space? Well, I mean, that's a good question. Uh, generally speaking, I mean, if you think about infrastructure assets, uh, especially the economic ones that we're talking about here, they, there's, all, there's always an re- element of, of cash flow or revenue involved in these. And specifically in the structured product space, what we have seen are infrastructure assets, whether they're you know, renewable energy, uh, transportation type assets, that generate a cash flow stream. And what we see in the structured products market is they're able to structure these assets into a fixed income format and tranche it out so investors with different risk appetites or duration appetites are able to partake in these. Um, it's very interesting given that you know, Double Line is an ex- expert in structured products. But additionally, the underlying asset is very strategic and very stable in nature. Well, I know, Andrew, you know, for our listeners too, you, you've spent a lot of time in the ABS space, CMBS, a lot of structured credit. How does this differ from like uh, when I think about an ABS asset, right? We can think of that as kind of infrastructure like. So are these asset-backed securities? Uh, I know your background's in credit, Damien, as well. So how would, how would we explain to our listeners, you know, how to think about these assets? Are they co- highly correlated to ABS? Do they look like that? 
the quality of the credit. How, how would you decompose this when thinking about the allocation to a fixed income portfolio? You're, you're talking about a ma from a macro sense, infrastructure from a macro fixed income sense. Right, or what does it look? Does it look like asset-backed securities, like airplane deals? That considered is that considered yeah. infrastructure? I know it's flying to the sky. It's not you know like piping or anything. Uh, but or is uh, how does it look relative to the ABS market? Because you're talking about structured credit sure. versus that. And then Damien, maybe you can tell us a bit about how you analyze the bottom up on the sure. on the credit aspect as well. Yeah, so um, in terms of the ABS market, I mean, the ABS market is very broad. So you have uh, sectors such as student loans or consumer debt all the way to these infrastructure assets, which, uh, you know, in the past it would probably be considered esoteric type assets, but uh, I, I think that does it in injustice. Es esoteric implies that, you know, these aren't liquid or they only come up come around every so often, whereas we're seeing the exact opposite now. Issuance in this space, whether it's transport, renewable energies, is really picking up. Um, I would consider these is very different than the traditional asset backs that people consider, right? Uh, if I talk asset-backed securitizations to most people, they immediately think of credit cards, autos, perhaps student loans. A traditional market. That's right. You know, like to answer that question, I think it would be very interesting to take a step back. And uh, when you think about infrastructure in general, uh, think about a project very long-term in nature. So when Andrew and I discuss a portfolio, uh, very, very rapidly we figured out that, you know, on the corporate side alone, uh, you will have a portfolio that will be not that attractive for investors. It will be like a very comparable to uh, having muni funds. So you will have very long duration because those projects are long-term in nature. So you have long duration with very low yield. So, you know, the Sherman ratio <laughs> will be... I heard about that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, will be, you know, not, not, not very positive. It's, it's, it was like almost a non-starter. Uh, and, you know, when we thought about this with Andrew, uh, it's like, hey, wait, you know, the, the structured uh, product is a great avenue for lowering duration. So we come up with, um, with like, you know, a, an idea of uh, marrying those two together, uh, marrying like structured product with corporate credit to essentially offer like a product that is very unique and add a lot of value. Um, the strategy, uh, you know, when you think about the strategy, you can think like a duration around five for a duration around four-ish, uh, which you is... meant yield around four-ish. Yes. Yeah, okay, yeah. So you're talking about a four yield on a five duration asset. And if I think about that in U.S. corporate credit today... A five-duration asset. I mean, we're yeah. lucky to get a three-handle on these days, right? Yeah. So um, the next question typically comes from investors: Is okay? Yeah, there's more yield. There's got to be yeah. more risk. Um, is that how you guys think about the space? Is it riskier than the corporate credit? I mean, people know, you know, high-quality Dow blue-chip type mm -hmm. names, right? Mm -hmm. They don't know about this one-off project in somewhere like Bakersfield, California, yeah. uh, about some energy plant there. So, uh, how should people think about that risk profile? And are you essentially getting an additional risk premium for not the esoteric nature, but maybe people aren't trafficking as heavy in these securities? Yeah, and I will say, like, uh, first of all, like everything that we have been investing uh, thus far for, you know, the strategy that we have is uh, mostly, I mean, it's all investment grade. So uh, people or investors should, you know, rest, you know, be very comfortable in that front. Everything that we are doing are rated securities. Everything is investment grade. Uh, now, you know, when, when you look at the premium that we are getting, it comes from very uh, two different sources. The first one that we spoke very briefly about was the structured markets, uh, ABS, just because, you know, those are, I wouldn't say like more esoteric, but people are, it's less frequented, less, less known. Usually you have a premium uh, associated with this. The other side of the equation. Complexity premium. Complexity right? premium, yeah. yes. Which we're used to harvesting. That's your kind of background, uh, Andrew, is, is digging through these complex structures, right? That's right. That's right. 
and I will say the other side of the equation is the emerging markets. Uh, we have about uh, 20% of the portfolio is in emerging markets. And in there, again, we are getting into credit that are linked to sovereign, um, to sovereign uh, government directly. And we're able to pick up a spread, it, um, a spread on top of, of the U.S. sovereign plus the, uh, a spread on top of the sovereign uh, governments. And so. it probably, it's probably worth mentioning, too, a lot of your background is in emerging market credit, both at the sovereign and corporate level as well, right? Correct, yeah. correct, yeah. So uh, you, you brought up one inter- interesting point here. You're talking about the long-term nature of this financing. And so when I think about long-term financing in corporate America, I have what I would call management risk, right? You know, the CFO, the, the CEO can turn over. Um, how does that relate to these type of projects? Essentially, you're buying a project. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you deal with that management risk over time of, of actually you know, servicing the project and making sure the capital is spent accordingly and you're getting the proper return on investment? So, I mean, the way that we usually look at it, um, it the, uh, it's project-based, it's uh, project finance. So usually it's not a corporation per se, it's an SPV that is set up. And the SPV on project finance, typically, typically you don't have recourse to the sponsor. So they are very, um, uh, very unique in that aspect. And what is what you have as a counterparty, if you will, is really like the cash flow of the project. Um, so that's the way to think about it. It's not a company. There's m- not management. Mostly it's operating risk that you have. But you tend to, uh, to get some sort of offset with, you know, the cash flows. Yeah, um, i just expand on that real quickly. I mean, Jeff, you, you ask an interesting question in terms of um, like risk in the future for an investment you make now. Yeah. And I, I think this is actually one of the selling points for infrastructure or why it makes it attractive. Because for if, if you purchase a, uh, a corporate debt, for example, you're exposed to – essentially the way we look at it is all balance sheets, right? You have a asset side. You have a liability side. But with a corporate asset – the, those asset, the asset side can change over time, depending on what management does. The liability can change over time as well if the, the management team decides to layer on more debt right. or take it off. The beauty with infrastructure is you have a defined asset, right? So that asset will not change for the life of the deal. And the covenants don't change. Exactly. Like right. That, right. So you don't have this incremental risk. Exactly. So, so for us, I mean, the way we look at it, there's a lot of transparency down to the asset. We understand if we get comfortable with you know the cash flows that this asset can produce. For us, we actually feel this is much safer and much more transparent than investing in, just say, some average corporate credit. Let's talk a little bit about the evolution of the asset class as such, as the way it pertains to perhaps an asset manager like yourself or even you know, for institutional investors. I know a lot of people think of it primarily in terms of either private debt or you know, versus public debt, but perhaps you can talk a little bit about that and how it fits within the, the 40 Act Mutual Fund space as you run it today. Sure. Uh, so, I mean, uh, you know, to understand infrastructure and how it's evolved, you have to look at it pre-crisis. Before the financial crisis, almost all of the debt side of the financing was done through commercial banks. Um, they essentially held 90% of the market. Post-crisis, due to regulations, they had to shed some of that risk. So what you see now is a lot of risk being syndicated out to investors. So in the past, like we said, commercial banks held 90% of the market. Now you see insurance companies, you see pension funds, you see asset managers such as ourselves participating in these markets. And it, you know, with this evolution, it's becoming much, much more liquid, but it's also becoming essentially an asset class of its own. Um, Citigroup did a report recently essentially stating the fact that they see infrastructure financing going out to the public market and becoming 
a legitimate asset class. Right. So I think you know a lot of people's familiarity will come from something like in the muni market. Um, you know, if you recall, there was the Build America bonds, yep. right? Uh, maybe you could uh, talk about what those were. They, they, I think it's been touted somewhat as a successful program. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I'm leading into the new administration that we have here and thinking about making America great again via infrastructure spending, uh, which seems to be a prescient topic. So maybe you could talk about what the Build America bonds look like to begin with and how, if any way, these things are different that you're investing in today. Yeah. And, um, so the, the Build America program was pretty successful. Uh, you know, it was uh, obviously a recovery uh, post-crisis uh, done with the Obama administration. What, what was very interesting about it is people that normally will be a tax exempt will not be able to really participate because it was a muni um, type of funding. And it opened up like a lot of different avenues for financing uh, those projects. So that was a wide success. Uh, now, Trump is uh, is starting like or oh, I would assume like with the the PP like the, the new administration will come with like a PPP uh, scheme that has been talked for the past uh, few months, which is, is a like public private partnership exactly kind of similar to the mortgage recovery idea that happened post financial crisis, right? Where right. there's some government money behind it, there's some private, private investors, money. yes, and then there's some combination of the two. Exactly. If you watch G uh, Game of Thrones, for example, it's like the the Jon Snow, like the bastard child, is yeah. between like a Something that's totally private and something's totally public. Okay. So that that's that's what it is. So this is, the, this, is, this is not the John Snow of investing, right? Yeah, and hopefully winter is not coming. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, anyways, Andrew and I like uh, joked about uh, the probably the the mega bonds that's gonna come, like uh, the make America make America great again bond. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah mega bond. The hashtag from <laughs> the administration, right? Yes. yes. Uh, so hopefully we'll see like probably a combination of uh, PPP and uh, and some sort of uh, build America bonds. Yeah. So, so is that something that, you know, this strategy is predicated upon or, you know, obviously you've been running these securities. We're using them extensively throughout our strategies as um, you know, we'll talk about kind of reward to risk profile we've seen from them. But um, are you predicated upon this financing or, you know, what if indeed the MAGA bonds, as you're calling them, the, the Make America Great Again bonds don't show up? What, what is that? What's the impact to your overall market? Yeah, we're not uh, we're not reliant upon the creation of MAGA bonds or Build America Great, great Bonds, uh, Build America, uh, excuse me, Build, build America Bonds, the ABs. But, uh, you know, the areas that we're focused on are, are infrastructure uh, issues in the corporate market or in the structured uh, credits markets. And, you know, th that market, I mean, looking at it, it's already huge. I mean, we're talking about a $2 trillion market in that space, whether you're covering utilities, uh, you know, power generation, transport type assets. And it's very interesting to see a lot of new issuers coming out. Recently, Mexico uh, financed their, their new airport in Mexico City using corporate bonds. And uh, the Indiana Toll Road uh, financed the toll road last year using corporate bonds. So um, absolutely not reliant on that type of financing in order for our strategy to succeed. Yeah, It, it seems like the timeline is, 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 is appropriate as well, as because if you take a look at some of the data out there, it seems like America's gone from spending, I don't know, let's say high single digit as a percent of GDP on our infrastructure, but today it seems like it's at at or near a historical low. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. It's around three to four percent of GDP it's, with yeah, yeah. aging assets aging, too, yeah. right? Total, so, yeah, so yeah. I mean, I think that's why this opportunity is, exists as well. It's because we've underinvested in infrastructure, um, and that number that you cited for the United States, uh, I think it's two point four percent of GDP. And just to put it in context, China uh, invests about eight point eight percent 
as a percentage of G GDP in infrastructure, and even Canada and Japan. I mean, I understand China's growing, right? So it makes sense that they're spending a lot of money in infrastructure. But even Canada and Japan, they're spending 4%, almost almost double what we're spending. So mm -hmm. we've completely... And they have significantly you know, high, uh, lower birth rates than we do. Absolutely. They're spending, you know, spending multiples of us. Exactly. So so it's it's no surprise that, uh, you know, all this talk, whether you're, you know, Trump was uh, in the, uh, as the president or even Hillary, either either side would have needed to invest significantly in infrastructure. And I think it's, it's a, I mean, just to put more perspective into this, um, the Obama administration the past eight years, they spent uh, $50 billion on highway. Uh, now what it started by uh, President Trump is $550 billion, uh, so 10 times this amount. So we are hopeful for infrastructure, uh, hopeful, um, obviously. Uh, the next thing that is also that Andrew is, is bringing is, you know, already like the developed country are a lot of debt. Uh, U.S. debt to GDP is north of 100. Um, you know, putting more debt on the balance sheets uh, might not work, and it might be like, uh, I don't think it's going to pass Congress. I don't think Congress will want to add to the deficit. Uh, so, so having you don't think private, Paul Ryan's just going to rubber stamp everything that Trump approves. Uh, I not. think having the <laughs> private, uh, uh, some sort of private uh, partnership is yeah. very, very important, and we see this as a huge opportunity. Obviously. Right now, so if, if we talk about private investing too, does that mean when these deals are getting struck that you have a seat at the table as well as you know if you're helping finance this as a private investor, that's essentially what we're doing by investing in bonds, right? Um, does that help you structure deals? Do you have any input on, on that side of the equation? Or is it just somewhat market standard where, you know, the, the covenants and, and uh, the terms of the deal are really set by the market, uh, by um, external externalities, I should say? Look, I, I think that'll, that'll vary deal to deal. Yeah. And I will say specifically, um, we can argue both sides of that point. Yep. And on, to the point where we can significantly alter or affect the way a transaction looks, that has been done. And, and I'll, I'll say on the structured product side... Uh, you know, we've looked at a number of transactions, whether transport-related or energy-related, where we've stipulated certain, you know, key metrics that we're looking for, whether it's faster amortization because we think the asset will depreciate too quickly. And as a debt holder, you don't want to be sticking out there at the end because mm -hmm. guess what? I mean, that's really equity risk, right? And you're not looking to take that risk if you're going to get paid for it. Exactly, yeah, right? right? Yeah. So we're able to make those types of mandates on the structured side. Uh, some of the larger corporate sites, and I'll let, let Damien speak to this. Um, you know, when you're talking about like you know several billion dollar type issues, um, unless you're taking on a huge percentage <laughs> yeah. of that transaction, yeah. um, you don't have you don't have a big. Scale yeah, you don't you don't. Yeah, exactly. Right. right? Uh, yeah, but I will say like uh, you know going back to what I was saying on, in in terms of amortization, it's very important when you finance project. Those are finite finite life. Yep. Uh, so you cannot refi them. You know, if you have a concession for 15, 20 years. You, can, you cannot make a bond that is like 15 years bullet because, you know, the five-year stale risk, you're not going to be able to refi it. Uh, so usually those deals are, are amortizing in nature, which, you know, bodes well in, yeah. into like what we are doing with rising in interest well, rates. For those, uh, uh, for those listening, you're talking about some kind of complex ideas, amortization. What, what that effectively means, if I could kind of, you know, simplify it. All it just says you're kind of shorten the life of the bond, right? You're yep, getting exactly. some principal back each month along with the interest component, and it shortens the life and the interest rate sensitivity of the bond as well. Yes. That, that's fair to summarize. That's yeah. exactly what we are, we are talking about. And the, the beauty of this is, of course, like when you are in a rising rate environment, as we are right now, uh, it's always a good thing to be able to reinvest this principal at a higher rate. Yeah. 
right? That's one one thing we've learned <laughs> over the years as uh, the double line team is the beauty of amortization and resculpting cash flows. Um, let me ask one more question on, on the same kind of idea. You keep talking about transport and energy related things. Um, you know, given some of my background in commodities, I think all all of a sudden you have commodity risk here. Yeah. So how do you assuage one's concern about taking this direct commodity risk mm-hmm. when inside of these kind of real assets, right, that could benefit from inflation and things like that, which are supportive of your bonds, but how does one think about the commodity risk within these, these mm-hmm. securities? I mean, the way we position it, I mean, look, if, if you want commodity risk, you can go invest in a commodity fund. And, um, you know, for us, we're not, you know, investors who are looking for infrastructure, they're looking for stability, for safety. And, you know, both Damon and myself, we, we come from the school of thought where, uh, you know, people who invest in infrastructure are not looking for this, right? And the way we position our portfolio, we're, we're very heavy in transport and we're very heavy in, in telecom mm-hmm. and assets that are not essentially commodity driven. Mm-hmm. Um, energy is, you know, a sector that, you know, potentially you could be exposed to significant commodity risk. So if we're going to play those types of assets, generally looking for contracted cash flows in midstream energy, okay. nothing where, you know, you're, 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 you're exposed to the price of oil or price of that gas. Yeah. And so is it fair to say that there's really no MLPs in your universe? I know investors have had a lot of those experiences. Do you, mm-hmm. do you guys traffic in MLPs in this infrastructure strategy, or is that something that you shy away from? No, I mean, we, we have done to a certain extent. There's like, we may have like some pipeline exposure, uh, but uh, especially on the emerging market, there's like very interesting projects uh, that take, like, for example, a natural gas from uh, the US that is pretty cheap. And for example, you just transport it through a pipeline to Mexico, industrial city in Mexico. And what you do, you it's just. It has to go through the wall first. Right? <laughs> it has to go through the wall. Uh, but it, basically, what's happening here, you, it, you just pay a toll um, to. Uh, uh, to ship those, uh, those these natural gas um, assets, and it's it's very good because the way that those bonds usually work, uh, you get a take or pay. So no matter what happened, you just pay that toll, even if you don't ship any gas. You get like it's almost getting a rent on a on a monthly basis. And what's happening is the bond amortizes uh, on a, on a quarterly basis. So we try to get into that space where you know even though we transport natural gas we have no exposure whatsoever to natural gas prices. So, Sounds like the safer play on that. You guys can't be the only ones out there doing this in the asset management world. How do you see yourselves differentiating your product versus the rest of the, the market out there? Yeah, um, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because in terms of competitors, there are very few. And I think over time, um, focus in this area and the number of competitors will increase sharply. Um, the main competitors, I mean, or the main comp, comps right now are either uh, equity funds that focus on infrastructure or there are muni-based infrastructure funds. And we're very different than those guys. I mean, I don't, I don't think I need to explain how we're different than equity investors in this space, but c- compared to the muni-type uh, muni strategies out there, um, I think our big, big differentiator is, is the inclusion of the project bonds and also of uh, structured products. Um, a lot of the muni-based funds, I mean, we're talking durations of 10, 12, 15, 15-year type durations. Uh, by including uh, amortizing-type structures, we're able to have our duration much, much shorter. It's, ours is roughly around five. Okay. So uh, when, when we think about that, you know, you, you guys got into the space, you know, many years ago, right, when we are doing it. We, we've always been kind of an investor in it, but we didn't call it direct infrastructure, yeah. right? And so as we're, you know, going forward... Uh, do you think that you're going to see a lot more competition in the space simply because of the headlines, right? Mm-hmm. 
Trump talking about you know a trillion dollar spending plan, which we all kind of doubt, you know, the plausibility of getting it through at least in that incarnation. But what do you think this does for the overall market? I mean, does this help make markets more efficient? Um, is it a better way to finance? Kind of what, what's your take on the state of the world uh, from an infrastructure play? I mean, I, I, I hope that, you know, that it will spur uh, competition and we'll see more people coming into that market. I mean, it's a very interesting market and it's uh, obviously very accretive for investors. Uh, I don't have to, uh, to tell you, but, you know, m most of the things that we are doing, uh, that we're investing in, are secured. If you look at, the, for example, just the, the regular corporate markets, uh, I think the index is 5% secured. Uh, we, like the strategy we're running is about two-thirds of, of the assets are secured. So very interesting uh, from that plan, from, from, from just this, this plan alone. Also, as far as like uh, uh, Trump is concerned and, uh, you know, like the infrastructure, I think he has been a, a pretty vocal about infrastructure. And if anything, it's very positive for us uh, as people get more and more uh, excited about this asset class. Um, that being said, you, you mentioned the like what's going on, what what form uh, this uh, plan will look like is still yet to be seen. We just hope that you know they're going to be like some sort of PPP involved, public-private yep. partnership. I think that's the way to kind of you know be more revenue neutral if you want, instead of putting like more uh, adding, adding to the deficits. That will be like one avenue. Uh, I think uh, currently the way that it's it's looking at uh, the people that it chooses in its cabinets are really pro business pro private so we think uh that uh, ppp uh will be on the table uh soon yeah yeah i mean i think absolutely the the, the sector will grow and i mean it's a double-edged sword i mean damien talked about you know more and more uh participants coming in that's great for investors because liquidity will be great for this product but the downside is is that yields will compress and we're already starting to see that now uh you know some of the some of the positions will be picked up over the last couple of years, I mean, spreads, uh, granted, spreads have been coming in tighter across the board. You start to see more and more participants entering the space. So there's definitely some early mover advantage there with us, and especially as it relates to our asset allocation process for our multi-sector fixed income accounts. I know we've been you know, relying on infrastructure as an additional tool within the, the credit side of the portfolio. But perhaps you can talk a little bit about how as a standalone, a mom-and-pop investor or some of our you know, advisor friends out there may think about infrastructure as a potential position within their own portfolio and how they can use it and access it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I mean, I think if you uh, if you look at our strategy specifically, I mean, we're investment grade strategy in our duration. We talked about earlier is, is approximately five, five and a quarter. Um, and, and the U.S. investment rate credit index is north of seven. Exactly. Yeah. It's seven and a half yeah. or yeah. so, and, yeah. and the yield is approximately three. Yeah. Um, so, so our strategy has a duration of five, so it's lower than that of the index, and our yield is four and a quarter. So you're able to pick up yield. Well, it's even lower than the Barclays Ag when you come to the, yeah. the duration of the Barclays Ag. So five and a half. Yeah, it's, it's closer to six, closer six, six. years this day, today. And again, you, you give up yield in that market as well because of all the treasury allocation, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you found kind of the, the taste great, less filling type of approach that we like to think about when it comes to interest rate risk and credit risk out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's why it makes it so attractive. So, Sam, to your question about the mom and pop who want to get invested, um, you know, our strategy is focused on liquid assets um, in a mutual fund type format. So mom and pop absolutely can, can get invested in that space. And I think the way they want to frame it in terms of their overall portfolio uh, Jeff, as you mentioned, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of these mom and pops, they have investment grade 
credit, corporate credit, credit right? right? So as a uh, substitute or as a complement to that that, yeah. that that sector, I think, you know, infrastructure makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, if there's one thing I've learned in working in the bond market and just markets in general the last 16 years, it's that people have this comfort level with corporate uh, entities in general. I think it's, you know, we, we appreciate the stocks, the equities of it. So when it comes to bond investing, people feel like, oh, I know that company. Um, and so maybe that's part of the aversion you've seen in some of that incremental premium here. But I think everyone can understand that if you have a water treatment facility, I mean, we've had a lot of good rain in California. We're trying yeah. to help solve at least that intermediate drought we have. But if you have a water treatment facility, but that benefits you locally as well, right? Absolutely. So it's almost kind of akin to how people think about municipality financing, right? Yeah. Um, and perhaps you don't have you know all the corruption and things you can have when you have government uh, kind of entities, right? Because what you talked about with the vehicle is a standalone, right? It really can't be messed with with management in a lot of these projects. Is that fair? Well, I mean, it will, it will depend where we invest. Obviously, um, we also invested in the utility, integrated utilities. Uh, okay. So, you know, for example, like, you know, s- switch on uh, the lights, um, you know, you pay your bill, um, will be invested in those. Those are what we call our corporate exposure within the infrastructure. So those are, uh, those are companies that own okay. infrastructure assets. Do you so think of those as a, you, you layer on an additional risk for that then too, right? Since you have the company there, do you think about there should be some compensation in terms of premium yes but the way that we that we think about those is we only uh, kind of uh, involve in regulated utilities meaning that usually your counterparty here is not uh, a corporation is not like uh, you know the, the customer the real counterparty risk is with the municipality or the state those right. are regulated so, so utilities clear when we say counterparty risk we're not talking about derivatives trading, no just synthetic your assets. revenue we're talking about revenue the person who owes you the money the, yes the you're the creditor they are the debtor right A- exactly right. so that will be like uh, it's not like you know sam is not going to be the one that owed the money or a corporation coca-cola is not going to it's going to be actually the the state of california or will be like the town of uh you know, the city of Los Angeles. Yeah. Those are regulated utilities, meaning like every dollar that is spent in capex or in, in, any dollar that is spent in interest need to be reimbursed by the state or the municipality. So very, very important differentiation. So when we do corporates, we do them like, you know, very, very safe. Um, so. Yeah. so I guess, you know, kind of in the interest of time, you know, I want to thank you guys for coming today. Um, you know, maybe I could give you guys just, you know, a 30 second kind of give me, Give me the short, sweet pitch. Why should love infrastructure? Why you know we should be considering our portfolio? Obviously, as Sam said, we use this extensively yep. throughout the double line platforms today as we find a very attractive opportunity. But give me the short and sweet pitch why people are missing out by not having an allocation to infrastructure in their portfolio today. Yeah, so I think yeah, yeah, quick pitch, and I'll give uh, Damien a, 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 you know some time to add too. But uh, you're wasting your time. I am. To, to so you know, infrastructure is a safe, stable asset. It's been underinvested. For investors who get get in, you have clear transparency to what the underlying asset is, and in case something goes wrong, guess what? You have a lien, or you have rights to that asset. Mm. Yeah, I, I will say like strategic sector of the economy. Uh, you know, you turn out your line, you, your, the light, or you turn on your faucet. Uh, that's what infrastructure does for you. It's every day. Uh, it's, what's, uh, it's what binds the country together. Um, so it's very, very important. And as a pitch for uh, quickly, I will say, like, you lower duration, you increase the yield. Um, so it's, it's a great asset overall. 
All right. Well, thanks, guys. We appreciate it. Um, I know Sam has a little part of the segment he wants to work on right now. This is my favorite part of the part of the show, and I don't want you guys to go anywhere. Um, <laughs> let's. It's time to play. Sherman says. Okay. Let me go over the rules real quick, since you guys are guests on the show. But essentially, what I do, what I have here, is a list of either words, terms, or phrases. And typically, what happens is Jeff Sherman will give me a one-word response. He's a little verbose at times, and you know, maybe we'll allow him one or two, maybe three words to <laughs> reply, but let's just keep it at one. And this time, for this round, I'm going to invite both of you to, to play as well. So I'm going to name a word, term, or phrase. I'm going to point at one of you, and I want the response very quickly, top of your head. So, Jeff, we'll start with you first. Corporate credit. Rich. Chicken fingers. Ranch dressing. Baseball. Babe Ruth. San Francisco Giants. No, no. See, I, I, I got another turn. Just, we got to have a here. That was wrong. Selena Gomez will be yours. Jeff Sherman. Who? Selena. No, that, my head's oh, screwed. Good, 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 good. Equities. Rich. Artist. Uh, Picasso. Los Angeles. Home. Dodgers. No. Donald Trump. Infrastructure. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Jeffrey Gunlock. King. Long hair on men. Sexy. Perfect. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in today. Thank you. presentation represents Doubleline's intellectual property. No portion of this presentation may be published, reproduced, transmitted, or rebroadcast in any media in any form without the express written permission of Doubleline. Doubleline has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. To receive permission from Doubleline, please contact media at doubleline.com. Neither DoubleLine nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability therefor, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. DoubleLine is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by any DoubleLine entity or individual to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any DoubleLine entity. The portfolio risk management process includes an effort to monitor and manage risk, but does not imply low risk. Copyright 2017, DoubleLine Capital.